0: Welcome to orchestrated relationships a podcast studying relational value i'm david homan your host years ago i formed a community of people called connectors people who have an innate ability to build and maintain authentic relationships across their personal and professional lives and who thrive on making connections the community was formed out of a need to develop a system and a methodology to help relational value be valued in the most effective way i have found so far is to champion someone else, which is why I have in front of me the incredible Cam Snape. Cam, thank you so much for being here. That's my pleasure, David. Now, you're the co-founder of Bleaker, a company that has helped thousands of people do amazing work. In Bleaker's early years, you moonlighted as a research affiliate with the MIT Media Lab's Social Computing Group. And before Bleaker, you were a marketing executive at PepsiCo and the National Basketball mm-hmm. Association and the founder of an arts-based nonprofit that has raised millions of dollars for arts and music summer camp scholarships. Mm -hmm. And that's your short bio. So I'm honored to have you here with us and thank you so much for joining. No, thanks for having me, David. Tell me a little bit about one of the projects you're working on and uh, what
1: its impact can be with the world. Sure. So one of the projects I'm working on that I'm really, really excited about uh, is called the Bleeker Fellowship Program. It's funny. So the Bleeker Fellowship, Is the very first thing that Bleak ever produced. Um, So in 2015, after we received uh, some seed funding, uh, we we took the unconventional step of uh, not using those funds to uh, start paying our salaries and start hiring sales folks. We actually gave most of the money away through the scholarship program where uh, we identified about 20 folks uh, from all different backgrounds and industries and professions. And we thought, what if we were to surround this? Incredible group of folks with the essential resources they need to do amazing work. Uh, We provided each individual with a coach, a mentor. We organized training workshops for them um, every month over the course of a year. And we even provided each one with access to an admin. Uh, The idea was what can these people accomplish? What can these amazing people accomplish when they had incredible support that didn't come with any control, right? Uh, support and tether from control. The control is often something that
0: people think is support, but is actually limiting. hundred percent. That's exactly right. When you were starting out in your career, did you have flexibility for growth or were you in situations where the learning curve was confined in some way?
1: I had flexibility for growth in one pers- uh, from one perspective. This is professionally, right? So I never, I, my first job was working as a grant writer. Uh, in a small nonprofit organization in Manhattan, I never viewed myself as building a career that needed to last in the US, right? So I grew up in Bermuda. I always assumed I'd move back to Bermuda. Uh, and the types of jobs I had in the States were mostly for my own curiosity and education, right? I wanted to work for companies that I found interesting and that I thought I could learn something from and especially companies that I didn't think existed in Bermuda. Right? So I went from a, uh, an arts-based nonprofit to a talent agency. I worked at the MBA, then I worked at PepsiCo. I worked at a marketing sponsorship agency. You can't find any companies like that in Bermuda. And that was the point for me. right? So I worked in five different industries over 10 years. Uh, and, and that you know, I found that experience or those experiences to be really helpful. So I'm talking about control in a different sense. I wasn't being controlled by the career narrative that I hear consultants often suggest to young folks as they are, especially, uh, uh, resume, uh, resume advisors or resume strategists in talking about building a career trajectory that a person who's looking at the resume can make sense of. Right. And thankfully, I, I never thought of my career in that way. I was mostly just looking for opportunities to continue learning and growing, right? And one of the, you know, one of the neat parts of the, the fellowship program as we've reinvented it, right? So, you know, 2016 was our first fellowship cohort. We're bringing the fellowship cohort back in 2020, but directed specifically to Black and Latinx professionals because that form of support, right, the support that doesn't come with control of an employer or control of any sort of institution is really liberating. And it's incredible what you can accomplish when you have in your corner a coach, a mentor, an advisor, and a sponsor, uh, each of whom is thinking entirely about your future and your trajectory, not tied to any specific organization or any specific industry or any specific cause, mostly considering how might we enable you to get where you want to go, how you want to get there. And that's the, that's the goal of this fellowship program.
0: Amazing. So when you think about what happens when this, when this is amplified,
1: yeah, does this
0: create more entrepreneurs, more founders, more C-suite leaders, uh, more people who can pay it forward and increase the scale of people who view opportunity as limiting unless they have the support system around them? I
1: think this creates a higher GDP, right? Like if you think about the amount of wasted energy or wasted opportunity, uh, that is a result of individuals not being unlocked at work, right? Or individuals not having the opportunity to start the businesses they want the way they want to. Individuals being uh, blocked from growing inside the organizations, innovating, the, the knock-on effects of, additional external support are wide ranging and, and from my perspective or from my point of view not limited to any uh, uh, vertical or horizontal element of of work right it's not about entrepreneurs it's not just about entrepreneurs or just about ceos or it's not just about marketers and not just about creatives it really it really cuts across all different professions and industries and sectors and in enabling people to do amazing work
0: amazing so what type of connections do you need to
1: move this forward? This is personal to, to or this is a blind spot for, for me and my community. You know, we don't have a, a ton of folks who have a strong understanding of the world of charitable foundations, right? Uh, and just based on anecdotal uh, conversations or, sorry, informal conversations I've had, uh, it seems as though initiatives like the fellowship program, where it's not designed to be a profit driver, it's designed really to take the resources we have within Bleeker, you know, incredible thinking partners. That's you know that's what we call the, the folks who uh, deliver a lot of the coaching, right? Our incredible network of advisors and mentors and potential sponsors, uh, a rich body of uh, of learning materials, uh, and all we want to do is connect all those resources we have with people who can benefit from them—black and brown folks who. Definitely, do not have the same depth and breadth of informal, external resources as white folks typically do. Uh, if given access to greater amounts of funding to allow us to better connect those resources that we already have access to, to um, the to the black and brown leaders, both emerging and uh, established, um, I think that we can really um, move the needle.
0: I mean, I think what you're doing is and will continue to be incredible work. And as much as I and our listeners and community can support it always, you know, it's it's such an important uh, part of the fabric of the way things work. I mean, your response back to me was, this improves GDP, right? This isn't a response that is a social impact or a tearjerker because people deserve it only. It's actually a very practical, passionate solution for increasing the value of what people can give to each other and what commerce can be for good. 100%. That's exactly right. So when you think about relationships with this, like you run a community with members and people that have been part of different facets of Bleaker, mm-hmm. that's an enormous amount of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, in your career, you know, purposely chose to... Uh, move from different industries to learn a lot. Mm -hmm. And yet you come from uh, an island nation which has a Mm -hmm. finite amount of people. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see Mm -hmm. yourself in a situation where you'd be managing so many different relationships from so many different facets of industry and philanthropy and activism?
1: No, and I don't really look at myself as being a a manager of relationships. I, I mostly view it as a... You're gonna kick. You're gonna get a kick out of this, I think. As a as a connector, right? So we have like we're building all of these resources uh, inside of Weaker, both intellectual property resources and best practices, and coaches and advisors and incredible people. And I view my responsibility is to close the gap between people and resources, right? Close the gap between incredible folks who uh, want to work really hard and want to, want to do amazing work and want to create incredible things and make it easier for them to gain access to the resources they need uh, to accomplish their, accomplish their goals uh, and to realize their dreams. You know, that's, you know, that, was the, um, that was the intent of the first organization that I started. So this nonprofit organization giving opportunities to others that I founded in 2001, the idea behind that organization was identify young people who love the arts and make it easier for them to experience that love of the arts during the summer. Right? I wasn't validating a collection of young people as being great artists. Right? I was mostly looking for where's the art? Where are the people that want to experience the art? I want to bring them together. Right. And this actually leads me
0: directly to my share, knowing you come from this background. So Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, um, I was not a popular kid, but everyone had my number and mm-hmm. it's because among other things, my mom ran an arts association for our, my hometown of Gainesville, Florida. So mm-hmm. if you called me and wanted to go play soccer, you'd have to bear with me. As I said, hello, Gainesville association for the creative arts across town, repertory theater, Marjorie Kenan Rawlings, writer's workshop and the home and family. And then my best friend Tyson would be like, dude, let's go play soccer. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, sure. But many times we yeah. have somebody who'd want to sign up for art classes at a middle uh-huh. school or an elementary school. And my mom instituted, from uh-huh. the minute she took over to run this, a one-for-one. One. You could pay for your kid to take six weeks of classes. You could pay for a kid who couldn't afford it to take it with uh-huh. your kid. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I never really understood... Uh-huh the value of that one for one, not let's raise a scholarship fund, but what's $18 versus 36, even in yeah. the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And if, if you're going to supplement your kid's education, what's better for your community than supplementing somebody else's too to have that value? I
1: love so it.
0: this is where in terms of relational value, I view everything, as you know, as one-to-one. Yeah. Like us figuring out something palatable for our kids to watch um, that we actually think is valuable in terms of education is an exchange that's equally as valuable as you helping one of my friends um, meet other people good for her podcast or people that would be good to leverage your community or me introducing you to a high profile family office focused on philanthropy and education and social justice for me they're all equal and it always came from this idea that if everything's equal in terms of an exchange, then there can be no prejudice or bias except for in the scale of how somebody helps somebody else. I love it. Um, so that's how I look at connectivity um, and how I realized from early on that everything had to be presented as equal because anything above that created complications, Yeah. but equal is simply equal. It's fair. That's it's right. fair. It's fair. I
1: love
0: it. So when you think about uh, where you're headed with bleaker and with this work? uh, being the connector and bridging this, uh, Mm -hmm. what are some of the most important lessons learned? What are some of the best values that you've been able to put into your community from that spirit of connectivity?
1: Sorry, I'm closing, I Closing my eyes and I'm thinking a little bit about the answer. Sure. I appreciate you narrating that since this isn't auditory only. Yeah. Yeah, that's right so the the small scale nature certainly um, that's one of the lessons i've learned you mentioned that already, but so so here's here's one lesson i've learned uh in running this business and building this community me and my co founder and this sounds super hokey, but we didn't start with uh profit in mind right we obviously were you know we're responsible adults who recognize that uh in order to to pay rent uh, and for me to raise a family we'll need to make money but you know we mostly thought of how can we how can we deliver real value to individuals on a one-to-one way and we felt a a strong belief that if we can do that if we can deliver real value to individuals even on a one-to-one way like think about the fellowship program we started with one fellowship program we're investing all of our time and energy on uh, twenty people for an entire year. Right? That sounds that sounds absurd. If you start if you think about it, and we we put most of the money we raised in that first year into those twenty people because we believed in those twenty people and we believed in the idea of delivering comprehensive support that was uh, removed from control, uh, uh, and we had faith that that form of support, even at a very small scale. Uh, if done well, would uh, would have uh, would pay dividends, and, and so far it has. I mean, it's an amazing lesson. I, I think if you set out
0: just for profit, you can lose the purpose. That's right. But if you set out with the purpose, and you can find profit from it, everyone sees the path forward with you, and that's a very different thing than people seeing what they can get 100%. from it. So I want to um, 100%. I want to share with you. Um, one of my favorite quotes, um, okay. I come from a, uh, father who is a well-known and sh- respected Shakespearean scholar. So Elizabethan English was basically how I was parented as a kid, okay. um, at least in some ways I, I, I turned out okay. So it, I guess it worked.
1: No, I was an English major at Princeton.
0: So I can, uh, I'm right with you. And my dad is a Princeton trained Shakespearean. So there we go. I didn't that's probably why we like each other so much, but I didn't get into Princeton, but it is what it is um, So it's uh it's a quote from Hamlet. Um, it's not the to be or not to be it's one of the ones that actually sits with me more which is If it be now tis not to come If it is not now it will come The readiness is all mm. Now this is what Hamlet says mm. Knowing that he's going to go into a duel with Laertes yeah. Now Hamlet, in the story, doesn't know what, will, what his fate will be. Mm-hmm. But the nuance of Shakespeare is we as an audience know what the tragedy of Hamlet is. Yeah, yeah. We know what he is going into as an actor. And therefore, he has to be ready at every moment to face something as if it's the first moment he's facing it. That's right. And so when I think about training, when I think about how we prepare ourselves and how we need to wear multiple hats, people always second guess what made you most ready and think there's a, a prescribed way in order to get there. Mm-hmm. And I have found that nearly every single person who has come from the arts in some way, whatever medium it is, is better able to be prepared than those yeah. that are not. Because the arts teach you to prepare for something that is not innately natural to you, you have to train Mm -hmm. in. And it teaches you to express something in an adapted or different language Mm -hmm. that is a commonality. And so what I think of this from my acting training, you know, there's nothing better than being nervous about a meeting and knowing you can turn off your stage fright Mm because your readiness is that you don't know how things will go but you know that you can at least handle the way it will yeah. work so I it's, mean, it's that's,
1: yeah it's it, for me that's it's, especially important now
0: it it is i mean it's it's something yeah. where um what are we doing when we're not just sitting at home and trying to stay safe or having to work right yeah. who who's yeah. not consuming the arts at the moment so I always look at that as a valuation of why the arts obviously you know this and is in both of our histories, but need more support, but I always mm-hmm. think about it as what it made us ready for, how much it trained us to be better connectors because of memory techniques from yeah. theater or music or or anything yeah. that that comes from it so
1: 100%. Can, can I share something quickly, David so, love to hear one of the one of the educational experiences. I view it as being formative to my ability to not always perform at a high level uh, in public settings, but at least to be comfortable performing in, in public settings is improvising jazz solo improvisations on a saxophone. So I played the saxophone when I was growing up, and before I was old enough to be embarrassed by it, I would have to stand up uh, in front of crowds and make stuff up on an instrument that. I was okay at. I wasn't John Coltrane, right? I wasn't an expert saxophonist, but it didn't matter. Uh there were certain sections and performances and certain songs where I had to stand up and make stuff up. And I tell you, uh, that is far more intimidating than standing up in front of a collection of people you never met before and just sharing ideas with them, right? Uh and I don't know where else you can find uh a practice or an experience that compares to the one that I just described or the ones that you're describing. Uh, and there are benefits that stretch far beyond the arts in that, in that experience or in, in that practice. I, I really appreciate
0: that. share. The one thing I, I'd say back to that is the only situation I found that's comparable is when you're able to get to the bottom and share a truth about your understanding of, business of impact and philanthropy of humanity that is as clear cut as the way, say, music could be or improvisation mm. could be for emotion. Mm. And mm-hmm. only in, in those truths do people hear it the same universally, the way that they hear a melody as a melody. I love it. So you know, I obviously I live a lot of my life by quotes and it's more for me important the interpretation of it and what you do with it than just appreciating mm-hmm. it. Uh, But what comes to
1: mind for you? Yes. So uh, here's a quote that comes to mind for me. And this isn't the most uh, popular interpretation of the quote. Uh, So there's an interpretation of this quote that isn't the actual quote. But the quote itself is is more fascinating. I'll read it to you. If we can change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As a man changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards him. We need not wait to see what others do. Right. So the, the version that you might see on a, a postcard or on a bumper sticker is, uh, be the change you wish to see in the world. But, but the full quote, um, is, is more interesting and more nuanced. If we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. That's really powerful. Right. So, um, you know, I, you know, I mentioned this to you, um, a couple of days ago, but I love the idea of small scale changes. We talked about small scale changes, uh, before and how those small scale changes catalyze the larger scale changes that really removes the sometimes inertial response to moving towards unwieldy goals like ah that seems impossible like oh i'll never get there you have to start with yourself Uh, and that's that's a belief that i think Uh, has served me well and will continue to serve me well. I love that, Cam. What I'd say is, I mean, that fits
0: perfectly in line with the way that I see relational value increasing. Because relational value for me is only one-to-one. You can't introduce a group to each other. You can only introduce a group to meet individually. And in your group with Bleecker, I mean, if you're catalyzing even just one person at a time, when you get to tens or hundreds or thousands, like this is Mm -hmm. exponential. Mm-hmm. but the change happens because it's something that is a profound change and that profound change for one is nothing but it becomes many it becomes societal it becomes cultural that's right and that is what i hope we're seeing in the advent of a of a new focus on where quote unquote marginalized communities who apps who actually represent the majority demographic in the world right. are able to understand what their voice collectively means, and if you can help change that, and I can help you change that one by one, we get to a point where that voice is heard because these communities don't rise up to replace and have the same habits as previous ones. They rise up mm-hmm. ideally, in, in, in the quote that you mentioned, they rise up in a way that actually weaves people together because what they wanted was to hear and be heard Mm-hmm. and what that's right what has been prescribed is a way things must be
1: right. that's that's how you ship gdp
0: i think let's end with that because in the end in a world that thrives on capitalism and consumerism and all of this you get people to see the profit in something and to see the purpose behind it they can align they're not mutually exclusive the world is not based on handouts the world's based on people right. finding purpose finding passion and building community from it 100%. so i'm grateful for our friendship i'm grateful for our bonding our first time we met over you leaving and getting a break from your children as i was headed home to not sleep that's right. with mine um thank you so much for being <laughs> on orchestrated relationships david it's my pleasure Um, I look forward to keeping in touch with your work and this work with Bleecker and everything that we can do to support it.
1: Yes, sir. You keep up the good work, David. Thanks a lot for having me
0: on and um, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. On the next podcast of Orchestrated Relationships, stay tuned for Bahia Robinson, who discusses how relationships come from value systems, especially in this day and age that are enforced by social action and change.
1: We'll close with an excerpt from the first movement of Rust for String Sextet and percussion.